Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial and podcast on your WWWs. It's good to have your company again on a Saturday. Um, get yourself a cup of tea because in the next hour we're going to be travelling the world um, without leaving your lounge room or indeed the, the seat of the car you're driving or sitting in. Or indeed, I don't know where you are. You could be having a jog with your earbuds in because, of course, we're po- podcasts on the WWWs. Um, Look, we are the defenders of government schools. We have to be here every week because government schools need defending in a civilised country like Australia. They're constantly under attack from private enterprise interests and indeed religious interests who don't think that public education should, re- should receive as much funding as it does in Australia. Religious interests um, from all, 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 all sort of religions and castes and creeds and sectarian colours um, believe that they should be given the responsibility and the money from the government to educate the children. And here at the Dogs, we disagree. It's really quite simple. No money should be going from taxpayers to educational institutions of any sort, unless those institutions are free, secular and universal. That is to say they enrol everyone all the time, especially indeed from the local area, which Jean will be touching on, talking about local schools being the best schools no matter what. It's rather interesting. Um, Jean will also be later in the day talking about what's going on in the United Kingdom with um, their privatisation bids, and I'll be having a discussing what's going happening in Chicago, believe it or not. Interesting things happening in Chicago where they're mixing up public education with private enterprise with disastrous and corrupt consequences. A mm. um, little bit of a good news story as well. Oh, of course, we'll be having our great school, great state school of the week, which this week will be Temple Stowe. Now, we did it last year, but I'm going to come back to it because they're doing some very interesting things out at Temple Stowe College um, out there in the northeast of Melbourne. And um, again, one of the things I'm doing with this great state schools or intending to do is show that not all state schools are the same. They respond. State schools are the most wonderful institutions because they respond to the people that turn up. The kids that turn up through the door make the school, as well as the leadership qualities of the people involved and the quality of the teachers. But those three things together in a state school come together often in spectacularly brilliant ways, like indeed the great state school later that we'll be talking about called Temple Stowe College. Also, I want to have a little chat about an interesting thing that's popped up in the last couple of years, which we've left alone, but I think it's now time to talk about it. I want to talk about the Public Education Foundation. Mm. 
Public Education Foundation is an interesting organisation, and I'd, I'd like to talk about that because they very strongly advocate for state schools, um, not in a political sense, but in a very interesting sense. And I think we should discuss some good news stories about what's going on with the Public Education Foundation. But before we go any further, of course, here on the Dogs Program, we have to have that thing. Uh, Jean's finished her homework. She's back from giving um, talks at various universities around the country, um, you know, amongst all the sandstone and the chalk. Uh, she's come back, back to 3CR and she's written a press release. Um, press release number one, is it, Jane? 756. So 756 press releases. This is the 756. Please, Jane, bait of breath. What's going on? Well, uh, this is a www.adogs.info. Privatisation of education has failed the UK and the US. Why do we persist with privatisation in Australia? Dogs have described again and again the failure of charter schools and voucher systems in the United States, but the failure of the academy schools in the United Kingdom is no less frightening. Australia was ahead of both the UK and the USA in 1900 and even in 1954, but now we appear destined to continually repeat the mistakes of these countries after them. Privatisation of public education, indeed privatisation of any education, does not work for a democratic nation, nor does it work for a nation-state involved in globalised trade wars. But the latest news coming out of the United Kingdom is symptomatic of the dangers to children, parents, teachers and the nation inherent in the corporatisation and privatisation of public education. In England, privatised state schools converted into academies and run by charitable and not-so-charitable trusts have only succeeded in producing one scandal after another. The Guardian of the 22nd of July 2018 has this to report on another failed privatisation experiment at a place called Kinsley. Now, in 2015, this Kinsley State School in Australia, which had an excellent history and reputation, left the auspices of the Wakefield Council to become Kinsley Academy. It joined one of the hundreds of charitable companies the government calls multi-academy trusts, which between them run thousands of schools across England now. This is thanks to the, to the Conservative government, of, and I think it was started too in the Labor government. This is a key plank of the government's school strategy under which high-performing schools in each trust help the struggling ones improve, allegedly. But in Kingsley, the reverse has happened. Now, the state school at Kingsley was lauded by Ofsted and before it joined the um, Wakefield City Academies Trust. It, but since then, it has sta seen standards plummet to well below the national average and thousands of parents in West Yorkshire affected by a large-scale educational failure whose ripples have been felt far beyond Kinsley are very, very concerned and angry. 
Their worries are being echoed across England amid growing concern that something may be seriously amiss with the government's academies experiment. Now let's talk about this Kinsley uh, Academies Trust in Wakefield. It was named a top-performing academy sponsor by Nikki Morgan, who was the Education Secretary, and it was handed a 500,000 slice of a 5 million fund to, quote, improve schools in the north of England. But since then, things have gone awry. This Kinsey School didn't necessarily need improving, certainly didn't need the improving hands of this Wakefield City Academies Trust. The Trust has sunk to the bottom of the league tables to become one of the lowest performing academy chains in the country and it's been plagued by question marks over its finances. In July 2016, the Education Funding Agency investigated the Trust. Sounds a little bit like the ACCC and ASIC, but they don't seem, they seem to be paper tigers. Perhaps they might get a little bit of um, information out to the public, but the damage has been done. Now, this education funding agency in its draft report, leaked, which was leaked to the press, found that its interim chief executive, the businessman Mike Ramsey, sound familiar? has paid himself £82,000 over a three-year period, three-month period, I'm sorry, £82,000, not over the year, but over a three-month period, just paid himself. It concluded that the Trust was in an extremely vulnerable position as a result of inadequate governance, leadership and overall financial management. Later in the year, in 2016, it was reported that the Trust had paid almost 440000 to IT and admin companies owned by Ramsey and his daughter. But the Trust was allowed to carry on. You had obvious conflict of interest and obvious mismanagement of money, and that's putting it mildly. But then, in September last year, it suddenly announced that it would be looking for new sponsors for all 21 of its schools, but not before it had transferred more than 1.5 million of reserves from its schools to its central coffers, entirely permissible in the current system. Now, some of this 1.5 million pounds were funds raised by the parents themselves and it's not clear whether any of this money will be left when the trust winds up or whether those schools will ever see it again. Now, the collapse of this Wakefield City Academies Trust, because this is, this is what privatisation means, you can't actually be certain that a school will open its doors either next week or the next year if it goes bust. Whereas if you have a government school, you can be certain that it is going to open its doors, even if it's underfunded, uh, next week or next year. But this collapse of this Wakefield City Academies Trust has sent shockwaves through the area. And uh, for many parents, it's been disturbing to find that their children's futures could be threatened by the recklessness of people with very limited educational experience. Well, they certainly seem to have plenty of experience in the conflict of interest area, don't they? Wakefield City 
is one in a series of very high-profile failures of trusts in England forced to give up all their schools. But what happens to the schools? The magazine School Week reported just last week that Bright Tribe, the trust which, with the lowest-performing secondary schools in the country, would also be closing and handing back its ten schools. Who are they handing it back to? The local councils, because local councils in England run the state schools. Are the failures the inevitable consequence of a quasi-market system predicated on the idea of takeovers or a sign of something deeply rotten at the heart of the government's flagship education policy? Well, listeners, they're certainly uh, the consequence of a quasi-market system, but also of a corporatisation system. And if you actually think about it, if anybody saw, and here I'm diverging, if anybody saw Albright, who was Clinton's Secretary of State, talking about fascism during the week, it was very interesting. She doesn't talk about Hitler. She talks about Mussolini. And I think we should be talking about Mussolini here too. We should be talking about corporatisation and what it means and how, in fact, the um, the politicians are only the froth on top. Mussolini was the froth on top of huge corporations that wanted to make money. And what else are our politicians becoming in this country and why people are looking at Hanson and others, unfortunately, why, what else is happening but our politicians becoming the playthings of the big multinational and national corporations for that matter? And corporatisation of education, because there's a lot of money in insecure parents, is part and parcel of all of this. And we've got already the example of what it means in the United Kingdom and the United States. Why are we romancing about this in Australia? But I'll go back to the Guardian report and England. Academies have been a jewel in the education policy crown for both Labor and Conservative governments in the past 25 years. According to Professor Becky Francis, who's the director of the Institute of Education at University College London, Labor's Academies program was focused on the revitalisation of schooling as an engine of social mobility in deprived areas. Well, they're words, aren't they? What the teachers wanted in those areas were resources into their schools and teachers who knew how to deal with children from deprived backgrounds. They didn't want big corporations wanting to get money out of the taxpayer dollars. Now, uh, this lady, Professor Becky Francis, says that the idea of bringing in business and philanthropic sponsors, including big names such as the London-based French financier Arpad Basson, not just for money but for expertise, was always controversial right from the beginning. Although the Labor government hugely talked up its academies program, there were only around 200 of them, which was 1% of all English schools. They were an experiment. 
but by the time it left office in 2010. But it was Michael Gove, who was the Conservative Education Secretary, who put turbo boosters under the policy. And by the time he left the job in 2014, the number had rocketed to almost six in ten secondary schools and one in five primaries. So what drove this? Not any evidence. No, there's certainly no educational evidence or or. Um, data evidence about this. Even as the explosion was taking off, the Department of Education's own evidence showed there was hardly any difference in outcomes between academies and local authority schools once you controlled for their pupil intakes. She puts it down to a strong ideological dislike of local authority influence and a faith in autonomy, marketisation, and I would add a certain kind of centralisation. The first academy chains were born out of the Labor government's efforts to introduce more stability into the system when it realised that there were significant risks to setting up independent state-funded schools, though embraced by the coalition government for similar reasons. Now, Mark Lahane, who's the interim director of the New Schools Network, is a champion of the model. He reckons that in Bedford, he says, where he used to teach, there were failing local authority schools which were left to fail generation after generation of kids. And for him, the big advantage of the academy chains was that you could remove a school from a failing trust and give it to one better place to turn it around. (laughs) So you let it fail and then you try again. There's also an intuitive advantage to the chains, he said. If someone's running one school brilliantly, isn't it a waste not to get them involved in running more? These are business models uh, that he's talking about. So he says if you've got a school that's functioning well, you can develop a group of schools that can learn and build from that, said Sam Friedman, and he was a formal special advisor to Gove. So you've had these ideas, people, but I wonder how much experience they really had. Uh, when you want to run a good national system, as they do in Finland, you just say you can't charge any fees, you resource the schools so that they're all A1 and you put well-trained teachers in them and things will then happen. So they have this theory about uh, if you've got a good school, then you model. That's one model fits all, apparently. That's the theory. And the problem is that it hasn't quite happened like that in practice. There have been several studies in the past few years that have invariably reached similar conclusions and there doesn't appear to be an inherent benefit to a school being run by an academy chain instead of by a local authority. Instead of that, you've got a handful of trusts achieving some good things but a much longer tail of trusts performing really poorly says Francis, that's the the professor who's been doing some work on this. Her analysis shows that six in ten academy chains have below average attainment for children from disadvantaged backgrounds. Well, what's gone wrong? (laughs) It's fairly obvious, isn't it? Privatisation just doesn't work. I think there was certainly a mistake in the early days of the coalition when we let so many schools convert at once and allowed some chains to build too fast and unsustainably, says this special advisor to Mr Gove, Mr Friedman. 
According to the Commons Public Accounts Committee, there were simply too few checks on schools wanting to become academies. And the government rejected just 13 out of the more than 2,000 applications in three years. In the early days, there was money in it. So people thought, oh, we haven't got the funds to run these schools, the local government, so they were quite happy to hand them over. It's called delegation of responsibility. Uh, And listeners, Mr Gove, as the Minister for Education in the UK, should have taken responsibility for this terrible failure. Now, trusts have never had to prove themselves before taking on new schools in difficult straits. And the Wakefield City Academies Trust took over 14 schools in under three years. And there was a period after 2011 where the academy system felt like the Wild West with big personalities coming in and changing things with little educational justification. Uh, This is definitely the place for your populists, isn't it? Some of those personalities took big financial liberties. They paid themselves big monies, like that Mr Ramsey, paying themselves far in excess of what a local authority head could earn, and they spent taxpayer cash on services provided by companies linked to themselves or family members, and there was no check on it. But then, what did they expect? If you don't put in checks and balances, human beings will be, unfortunately, human beings. If there's no check and balances and they want money, they will go after the easy money, unfortunately. So, in the wake of the Wakefield, in the case of the Wakefield City Academies Trust, related party transactions look like a convenient way to sidestep laws that prevent people profiting from schools. So these schools were run pretty obviously for profit. They're just private schools. They're not trusts. They're certainly not charitable. If the reports of financial problems at other chains are true, the government may find its plans to give trust millions to expand have the effect of pouring water into a leaky bucket. And haven't we here in Australia found that there is a wonderful leaky bucket somewhere down near the cathedral, I think, in the Catholic Education Office with Mr Elder wanting more and more. Now, once a school joins a trust, there's no going back. Its reserves and its buildings are absorbed into the legal entity of the trust. If a school thinks it's getting poor services from its academy trust, there isn't anything much it can do about it because it's been privatised. You can't go to the Minister for Education, you can't kick up a stink, you can't go even and talk to the headmaster. The only way out is in the case of serious failure, but that can take a long time to even get noticed, and there's a lot of children in England whose education is suffering at the moment. Parents are often the foster first to spot things going wrong, but it can be hard for them to be even heard. All they can do is walk with their feet. They can vote with their feet. But what if they don't have any alternatives to go to? Even uh, MPs can meet a wall of silence. And so there's been a culture of secrecy prevailing, which is what you expect. These are private 
enterprises, private trusts being run by people who are getting lots of millions of dollars from the public treasury, millions of pounds from the public treasury and spending it as they see fit in their own best interests. But taking over of these academy trusts remains the main school improvement game in town. Since 2016, the government has required all schools rated inadequate to become academies, and the pipeline of schools in limbo is growing. Over six in ten rated inadequate by Ofsted in 2016-17 had not opened as an academy nine months later, so um, not many people actually want them. The takeover process is overseen by eight regional school commissioners and parents have no right to a consultation on who should sponsor their school, let alone any kind of veto or vote. And the meetings where decisions are made are secretive with only the barest of minutes. I do hope Australian parents are listening to this because Australia often follows the United Kingdom. For some reason we think that British is better, and it never was. We knew that in 1900, and this is a very dangerous precedent. Now, these Wakefield City Academies Trusts make a shock announcement that it would be uh, pulling out of all 21 of its schools, having been plagued by questions over its finances, and revelations include the payment of more than 400000 Pounds for services to companies connected, as I've said, with its chief executive and his daughter. But there are other trusts as well. There's the Perry Beaches Academy Trust, which David Cameron once praised as a real success story, and it says it's going to hand over its five schools after reports of financial mismanagement, and the trust has paid an additional salary of £120,000 over two years to its former chief executive on top of his £80,000 annual salary. So there's the best job in town. Wonderful pay for a failed number of schools. Scary, isn't it? But we in Australia need to inform ourselves about this because this could be the next thought bubble of Mr Birmingham or even Mr Molino. But that's enough from me for the moment. Back to Robert. Oh, thanks, Jean. Another wonderful press release, but we're going to have a quick break and then we'll be back. Hey, what are you doing for National Science Week this year, Stu? Well, one thing I was going to do was go to the Lost in Science Trivia at the Birmingham on Monday the 13th of August. What time is that on again? It starts at 7.30, but get there at 6.30 so you get a good night of trivia and fun. See our Facebook page for more information. Radiothon fundraiser, Three Songs for 3CR, has a spectacular lineup: Los Zamponistas, Living Out Loud, Juan Perón, Samasin, and more. 7.30pm, Saturday, 4th of August, at the Oratory, Abbotsford Convent. Go to boite.com.au or call 9417-1983. Support 3CR and Musique Sans Frontières. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Darwin Podcast on WWW. Yes, uh, the United Kingdom is a silent true lesson to us here in Australia when it comes to misappropriation of public monies as is given to private people. Um, before we get to the good stuff, and I start telling you about the wonders of Temple Star College and some very interesting stuff going with the Public Education Foundation, I would like to talk about what's going on in the United States, which has a very similar ring to it. And unfortunately, what's going on here in Victoria as well. Because when you mix private and public, you get problems. When you have public money that's put into private hands with very little oversight, as Jean has just highlighted in the United Kingdom, you get big problems. You also do in the United States. In the United States, in a little place called Chicago, they've had a few problems. Um, Chicago has, in fact, a massive school system, which has had significant problems now for around, well, for, for some time, but certainly since 2015. And around about that time, something quite interesting happened. They thought they would solve the problems of the public education system in, in Chicago by contracting out the problem to private providers. And what follows is a salutary tale about what happens when you do that. Um, the mayor of Chicago still is and was then, um, a bloke called Ram Emanuel. Um, look, he found that as the mayor, the one thing he spent most of his time dealing with was the education system in Chicago. Because in America, as opposed to Australia, the education system is run by local areas rather than by state and federal governments. The teachers in Chicago back in 2015 were striking all over the place and he had epic battles with Karen Lewis, who was the head of the teachers' union over there. There were big problems. And part of the, part of the solution to the problem, he actually back in those days had to um, put, his, put the taxes up, put the rates up, put the rates up to pay for the Chicago public school system. And back in those days he put it up by half a billion dollars because that's what was needed to solve the problem. So this guy has problems. So the last thing he did was he appointed a woman called Barbara Bird Bennett, BBB, Barbara Bird Bennett. Um, he handpicked her to run the Chicago public school system, and he described her as the best and the brightest. And when he appointed her, um, it was back in 2012, so she'd been in the job for a while. She was the person who was going to solve all the problems of the Chicago public school system. Trouble was, um, she did it by contracting out the problems. And she contracted out the problems to her former employer, a group called Supes. Um, and this was, in fact, in return for hundreds of thousands of dollars in straight-up kickbacks and straight-up bribes. Ms Barbara Bird Bennett and her co-conspirators disguised the payments by channeling them into bank accounts set up in the name of close family relatives rather than themselves. Now, I'm going to come back to this because there are echoes of what's going on in Chicago here in Victoria, strangely enough. Now, several years ago, federal investigators revealed a 43-page grand jury indictment of Barbara Bird Bennett because in America, as opposed to Australia, they have oversight. They have structures for accountability. Um, and this, this grand jury indictment was filled with emails between her, a bloke called Gary Salmon, a bloke called Tom, um, who all worked at her old employer, this, this old private provider. It was a provider, her old employer, of education services. Now, we've, we've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. Um, a provider of education services. And there was another group 
which is an education company specialising in improving troubled schools. So a private contracting company who specialises in improving troubled schools. One of the emails sent by Mr Solomon all those years ago said, like we have discussed, we have created accounts that upon withdrawal we will pay down the taxes and distribute. We can contribute to your close relatives as you deem appropriate. So just straight up corruption. Now, it's the assumption, by the way, of the people who found this out, which were the grand jury, and what I'm quoting for here, and I should have said this to start with, what I'm quoting for here is from a little, little magazine, you might have heard of it, it's called The Economist. Um, it's an international magazine which, has, which is highlighting these scandals. Um, and they did their own investigation between these people, Mrs Solomon and Tom, who are the co-defendants in the case, along with, with BBB. And... The contracts, well, how much was it worth? Well, it was worth $23 million between the two companies. That is her ex-employer, who provides education services, and the other company, which you know, improves troubled schools. Now, the thing was, and the thing that actually alerted um, all of these people, is that these contracts worth $23 million were awarded without any rival bids. So it wasn't even private enterprise at work. They were just given to these companies without any bid process going forward. It's called monopolies, isn't it? It is indeed. Even Adam Smith had no time for monopolies. Um, uh, And this was for various things. $20 million of that went to train the principals um, in improving their schools. And the principals came back with their feedback after going all these courses saying they were a complete and total waste of time. Now, Mr. BBB reacted angrily to this whole process, saying, I can't be second-guessed with all of this. I'm supposed to be doing my job, and I just want it. And so when the mayor actually questioned her after this grand, this, this grand jury, she, 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 what is it they do over there, um, Donald Trump? Oh, he, she doubled down. She got really aggressive, saying, shut up, you can't micromanage me. I've got this brilliant track record. Give me the money. Of course, since that time, um, she's resigned. But the true victims in this whole process are, in fact... Yes, you guessed it, the children of Chicago and indeed their families. Um, In Chicago now, right now in Chicago, especially in particularly hard up areas, some school teachers um, are actually buying the books and the pencils and the materials for the children in the schools. Well, there's plenty of those kind of teachers here in in schools in Victoria. Mm. Talk to them. But on top of that... The wages of teachers in Chicago have gone so low that many drivers, uh, many, many drivers, many drivers now have to become school teachers because many school teachers now have to become Uber drivers. Uh, you have to get a second job if you want to survive as a teacher in Chicago. You can't just be a teacher. He said he used to be able to just teach phys ed in a school in one of the toughest schools in Chicago, a place called Eaglewood, but he can't do that anymore. His father was a public school teacher and he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, but he just can't do it. He said in recent years, both the behaviour of the pupils and the facilities has deteriorated to such an extent that he kind of has to quit his job because he can't survive on the money that's being given. So that's what's happening in Chicago. While the problems aren't being solved by the organisation's or 
by the organs of the state, by, by the people who you and I pay to solve the problems. They're being contracted out. Um, every time that happens, as Jean was showing in the UK and in the US, we have significant problems. Here in Victoria, we have exactly the same problem. Now, we've hinted at it over the years because it's been going since 2015. But there's a bloke called Nino Napoli, and he was one of the heads of the Victorian Education Department. And Nino Napoli decided that to solve the problems of Victorian education, he would contract out to some mates of his the internal computer network of the Victorian state school system. Millions and millions of dollars. Um, And there were kickbacks paid to him, and guess what? Into the accounts of his nearest relatives. Now, I'm not talking sub judice here, although I kind of am, truth to tell, which is not good on community radio, but I will say this. This happened in 2015. There was an IBAC report came out in early 2017, and now, now, it's finally coming to court. But I can say what I can say about Nino Napoli and what he did because he's admitted to it. So he's pleading guilty because the evidence is so substantial. There was another gentleman uh, involved in this who went over to the Catholic Education Office, didn't he? Yes, indeed, and then he was sacked. Yeah. Um, But... It's actually in front of the Melbourne Magistrates Court at the moment. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm waiting indeed for, for, for the results to come out. But he has pleaded guilty to these charges of corruption. Now, what has happened here was that he set up a system called banker schools, which were run by his mates. Mm. So extra millions of dollars are put into the banker schools because that's where the money would be parked before it went to somewhere else. And so, therefore, he created a an invisible chain whereby the money could end up to next, next to his name in a bank account eventually, or indeed some of his close relatives. All of this, all of this is when a public institution that is an education department solves its problem by tendering out, or even not bothering to tender, by contracting out the services it delivers, be it build a school, be it run a school, be it teach in a school, be it pick up the rubbish in a school. This is what's happening in the United States, the United Kingdom, and indeed here in Australia. And with cyber warfare going on around the world, if they contract out their IT, they're just actually asking for trouble, aren't they? Well, neither here nor there. I mean, really, all the services that are being contracted out are all actually in English-speaking countries. Mm. This doesn't happen to anywhere near the same extent in European countries. This doesn't happen to anywhere near the same extent in Southeast or North Asian countries. They're not that stupid. (laughs) Education is seen in most countries around the world in the 21st century as to be too important to be placed in the hands of someone who has a for-profit motive. It's just that simple. The education of the children of any particular country are considered to be either important or unimportant. Those countries that are considered important deal with it seriously enough such that if it goes wrong, a minister is directly responsible and, be kick- and can be kicked out of government. In fact, governments have been kicked out based on educational policy, certainly in South America and in large, in, in large places like Singapore. The idea of a government not paying attention to the education system is just political suicide. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't argue the point about how many millions it would take to fund an education system properly. You just spend the money in Singapore. You just spend the money in Hong Kong. You just spend the money in China. You just spend the money in Finland. You just spend the money in Germany. Germany, in the early 2000s, 
when they joined the PISA study, found out that their education system had fallen behind compared to countries. What did Germany do? Three years later, it was back up on top. Back up on top. Because that was a national scandal. The political will from all sides of politics was, well, that's unacceptable. We'd better fix that quick smart. In Australia, we contract stuff out. We, we, we go round and round in circles saying, oh, money won't solve the problem. We have Gonski, Gonski 2.0, Gonski 3.0, this point oh, that point oh. Who funds it? Is it the state? Is, is it the federal government? Maybe the council should do it. I don't know. Can we contract out the building of schools? Because we can't afford to do that. Because education is so expensive. We need to get some more submarines. Oh, it's the all parents just can always pay. The parents can pay. Well, that is the fundamental problem. <laughs> That's the fundamental problem because of all the countries I'm talking about, Australia is the worst when it comes to a population being able to buy out at public subsidy of the public education system. And I'm going to say it again. Every time I hear a parent say, oh, I couldn't possibly send my child to the local state school, you wouldn't send your dog there, what that parent is saying is that they are happy that there is a school down the road that they wouldn't send their dog to because they have an alternative. They don't have to do that. They can buy out. They can send their child to a private school. But at the same time, they're quite happy that from their point of view, in their judgment, across the road from them, down the road from them, in the same postcode as them, there is a school educating the children of Australia that they would not send their dog to. And they think that's just fine because it's not their problem. Australia is the worst for this. It's actually worse than the United Kingdom. It's actually much worse than the United States. It's a fundamental problem, which is why, indeed, we have the dogs here on 3CR. And um, I know Jane's sort of sitting there nodding because she doesn't like me getting stuck into parents. Well, I'm sorry. It's just a truth. It is a natural zero-sum game implication of every time I hear that from a parent saying, I would not send my child to a state school because the local school is rubbish. Oh, no, I'm not completely against you there. I'm quite capable, Robert, when somebody says that to me, of saying what you're saying is that the local school, uh, you're not prepared to send your child to school uh, with my grandson. You don't know what you're missing. Yes, indeed, having met you. <laughs> having met a number of your grandsons. <laughs> Or my sons, for that matter. Or indeed your sons. Yes, Yes, indeed. Not the little angels you perhaps would expect. But nevertheless, all survivors, every one and all. Anyway, enough of... I love them all enough to send them to a good good state school. That is the best thing that you can do for your child. And if it's not a good state school, you fix it, because I know, because both both yourself and your husband have been on many and many and many a a Parents and Citizens Committee taking an active role along the way. So if it wasn't wasn't up to your scratch, then you made sure it was, which is, in fact, the role of a parent. Anyway, I'm not a parent, so I can't sit here and pontificate. Um, so if you want to call in talking about me telling people how to parent their children, you're probably right to complain, and I should stop. We'll be back with more about the dogs um, uh, on the program after this. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Dog Pack. A bit of David Kinsella tinkling away some clear ball on his clavier. Yeah, who says you don't get culture here on 3CR? We, we, we give it to you in spades here at the Department of, Department, the Department of Defence of Government Schools. I've, I've upgraded this, Gene. We're a department now. <laughs> no, not really. Um, we are, in fact, on 3CR. We are volunteers. We have been here for decades because we need to be here. We are a voluntary association. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drawing a wage to be behind this mic. I don't think... Well, that's the whole point of 3CR, isn't it? The community coming together, saying what is needful. And I don't know, a couple of days ago I found out that Fairfax and Channel 9 are merging. Yeah, with, um, what was it, Channel 9 having 51% share? share. So maybe the age is going to change its aggressively anti-government stance. I don't even know. But just as well there's 3CR, just as well there's us to tell it the way it is. Um, so I've got some good news to tell you. Last little while, it's a very interesting mob, um, the Public Education Foundation. Now, they're not the dogs. They're not defenders of government schools. They are promoters of public education as a foundation. Their turnover genes are a bit over a million dollars, and they survive on donations and bequests. So they are not a government department. They, are, they do lobbying. Craig Rewcastle has just recently joined them and has done some very good media work, along with your old mate Justice Kirby. He's involved with them. You know, now, these are all called state school boys, and there's a couple of girls there too. Jane Carrow's on the board. She's involved with it. These are people who promote and defend public education, but they do it from a, from, 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 from a different position because they actually give scholarships to state school children. And to let you know who these people are, because I think they're very interesting truths to tell, you can get hold of them at Public Education Foundation, all one word, .org.au. That's publiceducationfoundation.org.au. So if you do have a spare bit, a spare bit of money flying, floating around, give it to them, I reckon. Because they're a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to providing life-changing scholarships to young people in public education as well as teachers and principals. The Foundation for Public Education, of course, comes from New South Wales. It was created, indeed, by the Minister for Education in 2007, following an ATO office ruling allowing tax-deductible philanthropic funds to support public education. As a not-for-profit entity, the Foundation is able to accept donations from individuals, trusts and businesses and has deductible gift recipient status. This has permitted public education in New South Wales to match the independent school sector in accessing philanthropic funds in support of students and teachers in public schools. Now, whether that should be necessary is a question, but apparently, well, I can tell you right now in Australia, the defenders of public education are up against it. Now, it doesn't exist to do the job of government. But it is indeed, it's indeed to support teachers, principals and students in their educational needs or indeed from the point of view of students in their particular talents who without extra help will struggle to reach their full potential. So they in fact work in conjunction with, in many ways, the Smith family up there in New South Wales as well. The foundation focuses on removing the barriers to achievement created by social and economic disadvantage which, as we know in Australia, is one of the strongest correlations with academic success. That is, how rich your parents are determines how well you do at school, which, as a fact in itself, disgusts me. And if it doesn't disgust you and you go, oh, well, that's just life, well, then you are, then you are resigned to live in a third-world country because that is, that is one of the markers of a third-world country. If you are poor, then you don't learn to read and write good. And if you are rich, then you do. That is what a third world country is. That is the lesson of history. And if you accept that and go, you know, whatever, um, then you accept that we are a third world country. Now, 
Interestingly enough, and the reason I'm talking about this is they have now started, Jane, advocacy work. They're now putting ads on television and out there on the internet. It's fascinating stuff. Talking about why a state school is the preferred option for parents of the future. Aggressively marketing the idea that a state school provides you not just with the opportunity for an excellent education, but the opportunity for an excellent education in the context of where you live and of the people that surround you and indeed of Australia as a whole. An excellent education can only be one where you immerse yourself in where it is that you live. And private schools, by definition, because they are exempt from the anti-discrimination legislation of this country and can pick and choose that they like based upon the colour of your skin, they can choose you on the basis on your religion, whether indeed they think you're well enough behaved. No, state schools don't do any of that. State schools are the only ones that have appropriate values. But before we go any further, I'm going to talk about a particularly brilliant state school here in Victoria, in fact, a great state school. In fact, Templestowe College. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. The state, state schools. schools. School are great of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Templestowe College, fascinating school actually. In fact, it's a groundbreaking school in the context of Australia. But if you went overseas, it'd be like, oh yeah, of course, that's of course the way you do education in, in certain places in Europe, certainly. Templestowe College had a particular vision, started about six or seven years ago, where they recognised that personalised learning, like the child, was in fact the person you were educating. There was a person, the person was a child, they had needs, how about we educate them? Go back to Plato, indeed. He was one of the very first people to say, before you try, try and teach a child, you must seek out the genius in each before you begin. Now, they've done stuff already. I'm not talking about what they're going to do, like I was last week. I'm talking about what they've done. They've actually got this thing called the house system, and I'm sure if you went to school, you know, you had this house or that house, you know, A house, B house, bungel house, whatever house. A vertical house system, but this system is used properly where it allows students to select their own learning mentor. So all of a sudden, you've got children first, okay, so who's your learning mentor going to be? And if you change your mind, you change your mind. You can shift who's going to be the person you go to as your mentor. They have elective programs all the way down to year seven. They enable students from year seven to select 30% of what they study, 70% being core, so reading, right, but 30% what a 12-year-old gets to do is their choice. So they could go on a notebook, they can do a whole computerized thing, or they can choose not to. You know, they can have an immersive um, IT program, or they can say, no, nah, I can't be bothered with that, that's fine. Um, and, of course, they have software applications which allowed them for self-study. They also have the differentiated learning streams. Now, let's, for me, this is fascinating as an educator. You can choose as a child to have direct instruction. You can choose as a child to have collaborative learning. Or you, as a child, can be allowed to choose from an independent accelerated learning stream. So if you're one of those kids that wants to sit in the corner and get on with it and not talk to your mates while you're working and then go and play with your friends, if you're that kind of kid, this is a school for you. If you're the kind of kid that likes working in teams and working with other people and doing things and creating and creating something together with other people, then this is the school for you. 
you're the person who gets to choose those things as the child, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And this, of course, is based upon the student's choice themselves, and the students can change their minds along the way. Now, the school itself is proud. They have three years of VCE and VCAL programs, and they have access to over 30 VET subjects as well as VCE subjects. So, yep, new procedures in the school just recently for monitoring student academic performance, conduct and attendance have also been implemented. So as part of this process where all the kids are doing all this stuff and they're choosing this and they're doing that and they've got autonomy and they can work on their own, this this has a very tight oversight program. Any particular teacher or mentor or person that's working with you will know where they are and what they're doing. Not in a big brother kind of way, but to prevent them, of course, because children being children, are falling behind or indeed falling between the cracks. So it's not open plan. It's not this 70s stuff. It's rather interesting. And it relates to what, what the place is. Large and flexible learning space studies where they have op- opportunities to start at 7.30 or they can start at 12 because the school is open from 7.30 to 5.30 every day. Of course, that doesn't mean you're working from 7.30 to 5.30. It means that the hours that you choose or your family chooses to attend the school are flexible within those spaces. Now, there are 50 international students in the school, so they do not just get to study with their neighbours, but they get to study with people all around the world, and they come from nine different countries. The whole school, in fact, has a global outreach focus. And, of course, there's um, of the 1,000 kids in the school, there's about 20 of them actually have um, significant or severe disabilities as well because it's a state school. <laughs> That's what state schools do. Now, there are full-time staff. There are three principals, 20 teachers, and about 15 educational support staff in a school. So for a, kids, for, for a, you know, for a school of over 1,000 kids... Class sizes actually aren't that small, but but necessarily it has to be incredibly well um, incredibly well organised and manipulated in terms of what's going on. So the using technology is part of the children's lives at the school, um, but the oversight bit's the bit that I like because often in these situations you say, well, you know, there is there's always the thing in a school. Do you give a 12 year old complete control over their own education? And the answer I would say mostly is no. Just no, <laughs> you don't do that. That's, that those things don't work that way. But within the basis of what the child needs to, to learn to become a functional citizen in, in a country like Australia and, and to actually explore their own particular genius, there does need to be some control. And at Templestowe, I think they've got the balance right. Bear in mind, this is a state school. This is not a private school. This is happening, by the way. Just talk about dollars and cents. It takes about $15,000 to educate a child reasonably well. The wealthier the background of the child, the less money. Templestowe College, around about 60% of the kids are from the richest proportion of, of Australian families and about 40% are from the lowest half. There's about 10% from actually the poorest families in Australia. So the ICSIA value is a bit over 1000 but not much. It costs around about $13,000 per year to educate each one of these kids using this incredibly sophisticated model. And it's been set up, it's really quite interesting, it's been set up by somebody. A bloke called Peter Hutton did this in 2009. Clever educator. Hmm. Clever man. And he did it in response to Gonski. He said, well, if we're going to do this individualised learning, let's just do it. (laughs) 
So first thing he did was, and I haven't said this yet, he abolished year levels. When I talk about year seven, I'm not just talking about people of a certain age. He abolished year levels. There is no horizontal structure where student learns based upon age groupings. There's a vertical one. So you might be doing year nine maths and year seven English. No one cares. That's not the point. You are doing what you need to do at the time that you need to do it. And if you accelerate, as anyone who's a parent knows this, children don't go through just through growth spurts in terms of how tall they are. They go through learning spurts. And so the school can be reflective of that. So great school, Templestowe, great state school. Um, no question about that. But we've come to the end of a dog's program. So if you know a great state school, please call up 3CR. Give us a call. Give us a bell. Just tell us the name and I'll do the research. Call up 94198377. That's 94198377. Or catch us at our website at www.adogs.info. But until then, until next week, when the fight continues, it's bye for now.